Welcome to Cars Yeah! Show number 267. Hard work pays off. Have a purpose, stick to it, have perseverance. Don't look for quick success. Hone your craft. This is Cars Yeah! Where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Award-winning author and designer Dwight Knowlton has done it again. His book, The Greatest Race, is now available. The Greatest Race is the story of Sir Sterling Moss's epic and record-crushing win of the 1955 Mille Miglia in the Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. In collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss himself, Dwight has created a wonderful children's book from this epic race as a follow-up to his best-selling book, The Little Red Racing Car. I have my own copy of The Greatest Race, and I can tell you, this kid's impressed. Like his previous book, this one is printed in the USA. Check out Dwight's Carpe Diem brand, where you can find both of his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize the road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Diem at carpegear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're at his website. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E gear.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, TJ Graywall. TJ, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am. I got the four-point harness on. I'm ready to go. Very cool. Love it. TJ Graywall, or just Teach to his friends, is a wandering photographer and illustrator with work published in various publications. Self-described, TJ has an unhealthy obsession for cars and design, a career as a tech executive, has afforded his automotive and design obsession, helping him move from a kid with a lot of matchbox cars to a grown-up with an eclectic set of cars to drive. So TJ, I told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you share a little more about your career, your interest, and of course your passion for automobiles? Sure thing, uh, Mark, uh, and thanks for having me on. I was one of those kids, right, when I was six or seven or whatever the age was, I just couldn't pass by a store without getting another matchbox car <laughs> and getting it. You know, my parents used to try and, uh, you know, make me do a deal, right? If they were, if they were going to take me out shopping that I would agree not to buy one. And sure enough, I'd go there, I'd throw a tantrum and make sure I came home with another one. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I had, a, you know, a lot of them, you know, 50, 60, you know, they're kind of curated. I, you know, I still have a bunch of them today you know some of them are in my son's room now yeah but i was that kid who kind of just grew up just fascinated with them i don't know what it was i grew up in uh, at first in london and then in canada but it was always about just the shape of cars the sound you know the appeal of them no one particular car it was just always had an automotive history passion for things and um you know as i got older and older i kept an affinity for them as i started to work and then i finally kind of got to a position where i thought okay i can now you know start this passion and hobby, I figured, you know, I just needed one car. So a lot of thought went into what that one car was, and uh, I thought that would be enough. But then, you know, just like a kid, you know, just, well, that <laughs> other one's interesting for a different reason, and this one's interesting for this reason. And yep. it's kind of a bad habit. <laughs> I can't bring myself to ever sell a car. I'm emotionally attached to each one. Each one feels special in its own right. Sure. And so growing up and kind of building a career in the tech world, this is kind of my... This is my passion. You know, I don't golf. I don't do other things like that. 
I'd rather just wrench on cars, drive them, meet other people with cars, tell stories about them, learn about things, right? Meet people through cars is just, it's uh, an, an obsession is probably the best way to put it. It sounds like it. In fact, it's funny you're talking about Matchbox cars because I was the same. I think I'm a little older than you, but I started with the Matchbox by Lesney. And I just pulled out this weekend the first Matchbox by Lesney my father ever bought me. It was a Jaguar E-Type, little red metallic oh, Jaguar E-Type. Yeah, I still have it. And a friend uh, on Facebook was posting some pictures about a Lusso, green Lusso Ferrari Matchbox car, and I happen to have two of them. <laughs> so I sent him a picture of those, but uh, I think we share that same affliction. As we continue on your journey, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote. It's something that perhaps has been instrumental in forming your life and your career and your success. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So TJ, take the wheel. The way I was brought up, we were taught the, the value lesson of, you know, hard work pays off, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, have a purpose, stick to it, be, you know, have perseverance, don't look for quick success, hone your craft, that kind of a thing. Yeah. And really, that's always been kind of the, the mantra, right? Which is just, you know, enjoy what you do, you know, do it well, and everything else will kind of, you know, just sort of fit in place. Sure. And I've sort of followed that all the way through, even in how I've made, you know, career choices, even on my professional side of my career life, you know, people look at the the steps I've taken and they're not linear in any way and people kind of wonder how I went from this to that to the other. And I tell them it was always about some moment where I, where I had an opportunity that came to me. I don't know how the opportunity found me, but it did. And I felt like if I passed that, passed by that opportunity, I would regret it. So, a lot of my choices are made like that. Will I regret this opportunity if I pass it by? Or can I live with that even if things went great with that situation and I didn't take it? And that's really kind of my moral center. That's how I make choices. And then when I dive into something, I dive in for you know the long term, nothing short term, something that's at least three, four, five years in terms of duration. You know, it's worked for me. You know, whatever works for everybody else, that's what they should follow. But it's done me well, so I'm sticking to that. I'm sticking to the menu. <laughs> I'm sticking to that recipe. Well, let's talk about that for a minute because you had a career in tech and now you've transitioned or pivoted, if you will, to this chasing this passion that you've always had for automobiles. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show because a lot of our listeners love cars, but they don't work in that career path. What caused this transition for you on what you're doing now with your artwork and your photography? So I grew up always appreciating art always having a strong interest for it. I, I'm a big believer in exercising that part of your brain uh, or at least exposing people to that side of, of the world. I think it's important what people see on their walls. I think it's important how people live and what architecture they live in and things like that. I think it implicitly kind of feeds your soul, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's important. I grew up very, you know, left brain, right? Very, you know, strong in maths and sciences and things like that. And, and that's where my natural career type abilities played and and obviously there's lots of opportunities in that path but I always try to be balanced and what I found is as I found success in a professional career I had options for where I spend you know my you know my non-working time and that's where I really just bias it towards photography and art you know my parents used to be in photography so but they were into film and they were in the early days of film sort of thing and I could never really grasp film when digital came around and when digital became, you know, much more better to manipulate, sure. you know, higher resolution, things like that, you know, I just dove in. 
and kind of just went with that ride. If you see my work, though, I don't, you know, I use, I, I shoot digital, but I try to avoid any sort of Photoshopping and kind of heavy post-processing type things. I like to spend a lot of time kind of on the, on the setup and, and control. It, it's really just, um, I mean, it's, it's just a passion. Like other people have passion for other things. You know, I have some friends who are extremely passionate about things like golf, and they find a way to make time for it and to explore it and to get better and better at it or whether it's any, whatever their passion is. And for me, it just happened to be cars. Yeah. And, you know, the only restriction with cars is you start to run out of space quickly because <laughs> cars are big. Yes. There's ways to solve that too. But, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, I just feed it. It kind of, you know, makes me feel good. And, you know, I can't see myself not fooling around with cars. Yeah, fantastic. Would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? You talked about going back to your childhood, loving Matchbox cars. You've always been into cars. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you really acknowledged and knew that you were a car guy? Hmm, that's a tough question. <laughs> I can't really think about a time when, you know, I didn't like cars. I mean, you know, I remember growing up in England, there used to be this TV show, and uh, I think it was called The Magician. It was an American TV show. And uh, I forget the name of the actor. I think it was Bill Bixby or something like that. And um, he drove a Corvette. And, you know, growing up in, in at that time in London when I was a little kid, that was a very exotic car. I'm sure I probably saw lots of E-types and you know, Jags and all those <laughs> other Aston Martins and things yeah. like that, you know, you know thing rolling around. But a Corvette was just like, wow, that looks like so futuristic, right? Um, you know, it was a... It was a 72 Corvette, I think he drove, because it had the side grill and things like that. Uh-huh. And that's kind of what I remember, you know, starting to get a little bit interested in drawing things. And then, um, you know, as we moved to Canada, and, you know, that kind of interest continued, then it was like, wow, I'm surrounded by, you know, all these muscle cars of the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we never had any, but, you know, just sort of lots of friends, parents had them, or friends, older siblings had them, things like that. And it's just always been there, it's just, as a teenager, I read every magazine I could. I read every book I could. It was harder back then because you you had to rely on what you could buy. Yeah, <laughs> that can be an expensive hobby in itself. We didn't really come from having an ability to to do a lot of that. The passion was always there, and so I think the pivotal moment kind of came when we finally, you know, we moved to California, and then we bought a home, and it had this little kind of garage off to the back of the the lot, and it was too small to really, you know park a car, you know, or one of our regular cars there. And I said, okay, now I've got space. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm going to dive in and I'm going to get something. So I rubbed two nickels together and, you know, I bought an old Porsche 912 and that was it. That was the first one I went front to back in, in the restoration of that car. And I, and I always thought it was just going to be one car, right? The one car is enough for me. But then, you know, as, as things happen, right, you know, something <laughs> else seems different. You fell back to your matchbox affliction. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very yeah. cool. I love yeah. that. Well, TJ, I would love to talk a bit about some of the roads you've driven down. One of the things we always talk about here in Cars, yeah, are big challenges or great failures that we face along the way in our life or our career. But the more important part of this has to do with how you overcame a particular situation. And even more important than that, what did you learn from it? You know, professionally, I mean, a lot of people work hard. And I'm sure there's lots and lots of people who work harder than me. And, uh, you know, I don't take any of that away from anybody. Um, and that's great. What I learned, um, you know, was sometimes just working hard isn't enough. Sometimes you have to just work smart. 
that's a little different. It's it's kind of requires a little bit more focus. It kind of requires you to just focus on the things that matter, right? It requires you to kind of let go of other things that are, you know, maybe time consuming or might have, you know, very little payoff, right, in terms of the effort put in. Mm-hmm. And it's the big things, right? It's the big things that kind of move the needle. And it's it's that's something that you have kind of have to learn and go through. Yeah, it's pretty common. People, you know, say, you know, drop phrases like, well, you know, focus on the big things and, you know, it's 80-20 rule and all that kind of stuff. But to really do that professionally in whatever your career is and to really have that kind of laser focus and that conviction of this is the most important thing for me to focus on and that's and you just be relentless about that, it, it never comes easy. And to do that consistently over and over again, that that was kind of the big learning for me. It was just when people ask me, how do I find time to do all these other things, et cetera, it's because I follow that pretty much in everything I do. Is there a particular situation that you ran up against where this really worked for you that you can delve into a bit and share with us? Yeah, so I used to work for a consulting firm, which had a very popular or well-known kind of up-or-out philosophy. And what that means was every six months, you kind of went through a review process. And if you weren't improving and kind of growing in your career, you're basically advised that, look, this isn't for you and you kind of leave, right? So it's a tough environment. Yeah. And what made the environment a little tougher was this was in the United States. At that time, I was still a Canadian citizen, so I was here on a work visa. So up or out to me meant not only being advised to leave that firm, but it meant you you probably need to leave the country. Okay, right? yeah, even worse. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the time, you know, my uh, we had a young daughter at the time uh, who was born in California, so, you know, that would mean, you know, there's that kind of pressure, right? You yeah. know, my wife wasn't allowed to work because of the, the visa situation, so I was the sole, you know, red earner, yeah. red earner right? Yeah. And you, you live in this really competitive environment of up or out, and it really focuses you. You know, I saw some of my peers there looked at that and they kind of would would feel the pressure and it would actually make them lock up. Yeah. Or they would kind of self-select out and say, look, this isn't for me and, you know, I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. And for me, it was sort of like, well, I'm, I'm up for the challenge, but it's going to require a lot of focus. It's not just going to happen. It doesn't happen through attrition. Right. It's going to, you know, it was a true meritocracy. I mean, they really were very rigorous in terms of how they ran that process. And, you know, you just dive in and you just kind of focus on what you need to focus on and, and do what you need to do and good things happen. And I was just, you know, I made it through there, right? I look back sometimes and I'm like, wow, that was a lot of pressure. But it's sort of like, well, if I look through that pressure, then other things don't seem as tough. Would you say, and you talked about it earlier, the key there was the word focus is, yeah. in knowing what to focus on. There's a great acronym I love for focus, follow one course until successful. And would you say that's what was needed in that kind of up or out environment? Because it's a pretty brutal environment for most people, most workers, except for those at a very high-end echelon, if you will. Yeah, I think the only thing with the acronym that you're mentioning is the last letter, success, and and how you define success. Yes. Because sometimes you need to follow something through until you fail. And then you learn from that and you understand that even though you didn't achieve the outcome that you wanted, you actually learned something from it and you became better as a result of it. Yeah. And it's hard to recognize that as being successful. It's, it's, it's good to recognize it as a lesson. Yes. 
and then you know you you kind of feed on it and you kind of go back into it right it's sort of like you know i was that kid i didn't like to lose and if i did lose at something no, I, I made sure I tried to understand, well, how did I lose? Did I make the wrong mistake? Did I read something wrong? Did I play it the wrong way? You know, did I, you know, was I blindsided by something, etc.? So how do I make sure that doesn't happen again, right? And it's that, it's that sucker punch feeling, that feeling you get in your gut. And, you know, when you have it, you don't ever want to have it again, right? And um, yes. you go through that a few times, and you just kind of you build up resilience for it, and you're like... <laughs> And then, then you kind of build up this blind fear, right? You just kind of be brash and you kind of, you go after things. And, and then, um, you know, I don't know, at least in my case, things kind of worked out. So Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I love this conversation and it's very appropriate because I do a blog every week here at Cars. Yeah, and this week the blog was titled That's Racing. And it was after, we're recording this right after the Memorial Day weekend. And there was, of course, on Sunday, three great races, the Monaco Grand Prix, the Coca-Cola 600, and the Indianapolis 500. If you look at all three of those races, this applies very well because there was some huge challenges, obviously, with racing and some great failures in the case of a team failure with the Mercedes team and what happened yeah. to Lewis. And yeah. if you look at the winners of the Indy 500 and the Coca-Cola 600, nobody would have thought those two drivers would end up winning. But it was through a course of challenges, failures, and things that just happen. And I'm sure all these teams are dusting themselves off this week. And those that didn't win going, what happened? That hurt. Yeah. And <laughs> even if you look at those two drivers, I mean, so if you look at Hamilton and the way he handled himself at the end of that race, yeah. was not the Lewis Hamilton from, you know, a few years ago who would right. have yeah. been really, you know, you know, less mature about it and kind of, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Or Montoya, who was known as being, you know, a little hothead, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, if 10 years ago when he was in the, if that first lap incident happened, he yeah. would have, you know, that would have ruined his entire day kind of a thing, right? Yep, he's matured, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I mean, right? You learn these things, you know, like in racing, they say, you know, you know, they say you don't win the race in the first turn, right, kind of a thing. Yes. You know, there, there's patience to it, right? There's a lot of calculation that goes into things, and I think that comes from focus. That comes from experience. Every once in a while, you'll have these stories of, complete chaos being victorious mm-hmm. and that can happen most of the time it's experience and perseverance that leads people to win or be successful in whatever they're doing and then some people will look at that and they'll only see a little bit of it and they'll think oh that was overnight success but what they don't <laughs> see is the, you know the years of devotion and yep. focus and perseverance great conversation Let's shift gears here, TJ, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those career aha moments with us where, as I say, the headlights came on and it somewhat illuminated your way for a new idea or a new direction. Could you tell us about one of those aha moments for you? Yeah, I was brought in to help this one little company grow, and there was a lot of things that needed to be done, almost an overwhelming number of things, right? It was sort of like you could stand there in front of the whiteboards in a room and you could literally just fill the whiteboards with a vast number of things. Yes. And a lot of manufacturing was involved in that company, and we had to take on a lot of responsibility. And we had a very, very small team. Still need to recruit a big team to go do all these things. And I was like, well, you know, if we're going to do this, let's do this really smart. So if we don't have to follow the norm, how would we do this? Mm-hmm. And as I kind of led the, led the team through kind of that way of thinking – there was kind of like this moment, right, where it's sort of like, oh, well, then we don't have to do this and this and this. And then you could start to erase things from the whiteboard. Or 
vote, you know, somebody would say, well, we still need to do these things. And I would say, yeah, but in the grand scheme of things, they really don't matter. We're not, our success or failure isn't going to be determined by how will we do those small sets of things. Our success or failure is going to be determined by these other big things here. So let's just focus on that. It was a non-traditional way to kind of tackle the problem because, you know, admittedly, it wasn't about covering everything. Mm-hmm. It was really kind of focusing in on a few things and doing them well and, and acknowledging that there's lots of things that we weren't necessarily doing well, but that was okay. And letting the team kind of realize that it was okay. That was a big moment because it certain, it really took away that kind of overwhelming feeling of all these things that we needed to do. It really just brought it down to a small set of things that we just needed to, you know, go after. And <laughs> there's that focus it, again. <laughs> yeah. And it was sort of like, well, and then I kind of used that, to go even further so it was sort of like okay well now that we we're not now we're now that we're sleeping at night right because we've kind of honed the problem mm-hmm. you know then we, then we had this other you know issue of well now i got to go find a team and recruit a team so i implemented a simple little rule i i said uh, well nobody can hire anybody that they worked with before mm. and my team would you know look at me and they'd say why it's like because i know so and so could do this and so and so could do that and i was like that's great but when you start working with people that you've worked with in the past, you, you get speed, but you also bring in a lot of old habits. Mm. And we were out to create something new. And I said, I don't want old habits to come in. I want everybody to f- force themselves to have to think better. So while it might have been easy for me, to even myself, to go hire somebody who I knew who'd, who could take on some you know, big part of responsibility and I could just let them run with it, it was also kind of a, a little bit of a cop-out for me because that mean, meant I didn't have to worry as much about it. That meant I could kind of pass responsibility on, whereas I wanted to have responsibility for it. Ah, great. Right? Yeah. And it was a difficult kind of exercise at first because you kind of, kind of want to get at it and you kind of go to things, but it forced everybody to think differently. It yeah. made everybody think differently about the role and what they really needed in, in somebody made everybody a little bit more critical in terms of who they were hiring and why, right? Yeah. And that kind of thing is sort of like, you know, maybe that's my old consulting days coming back because in consulting, you're kind of with a new team every six or eight weeks mm-hmm. and you kind of learn each other and you kind of learn everybody's pluses and minuses and things like that and you kind of adapt. And I, I like that kind of drug. Um, <laughs> but it was kind of like this moment of like, well, you know, you can forget the norm for a moment and attack a problem by by letting yourself kind of forget the norm. And in that case, you know, it was the right thing to do. And we built a lot of momentum that way. Whereas, you know, we didn't get overwhelmed. I just never like to feel that kind of overwhelmed feeling, right? It's always about yeah. how do you stay calm and kind of just focus on what you need to do. Very interesting. Very cool. Some great golden nuggets you dropped there. I appreciate that. How about proudest moments in your career? Is there one in particular that really stands out for you? Yeah, yeah. So in my professional career, like the, you know, the career that paid for all this stuff, you know, there's no one particular moment. I mean, there's lots of moments. You know, I'm proud of proud of all of them. Mm-hmm. Could some of them have been done better? Sure, but you know, that's my oh, my compulsive. You know, how do we do things better? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> uh, attitude coming back with the photography and the the illustrations and stuff. There, all I care about is is when when I see other people kind of reacting to them. Mm-hmm. And and what I'm trying to do there is. The, the value or the appreciation for, for imagery has gotten so low 
I don't mean mine, I mean in general, right? It's just, it's so common to see photographs, it's so common to see photos and snapshots and, and people drawing things and stuff like that. I mean, we're just visually overloaded, right, all the time right. with all the screens that we have. Yes. And so the attention span has really gotten shorter and shorter, so people are glossing over things. And what I try to do is try to bring a perspective where I'm trying to force the viewer to kind of slow down and focus. Hmm, I love that. So when somebody looks at something that I've done or they looked at something and they really appreciate something that someone else has done and they say, you know, I never really noticed that detail before or I didn't ever think of that kind of a perspective before and it, it's just interesting. That's what I like the most. Yeah. Like, that's why I do the things that I do. I mean, I'll always be surrounded by cars. I don't need to go, you know, do these types of things. But it's, you know, that's kind of what I, I enjoy. When somebody kind of sees... The, an interesting perspective I've taken on the form of metal and the color of the light and how I've kind of bounced a reflection in a particular way, things like that, and they kind of appreciate that, that's that's what makes me feel good. Because I'm like, okay, so if, if they start to appreciate that, then they'll appreciate other things a little bit more. So maybe they'll appreciate, you know, architecture a little bit more. Or maybe they'll pr- appreciate a museum a little bit more and things like that, sure, right? Sure, sure. And that's that's the mission. Well, I love that mission because I do believe the same thing. I think this day and age with the smartphones, we've been a bit dumbed down as a viewing audience of what is appropriate or acceptable or good art, if you will, especially in photographic images. We see so much of it, as you said, and you start to just accept it all or big chunks of it is fine. But really great photography, really great art does have that special attention. I've had so many guests on the show here that are artists and photographers, automotive related, of course. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. It's really important. Let's have a little bit of fun here. You have a lot of cars in your life, but what was the first really special vehicle that you purchased or acquired? And maybe share a special memory you had with that car. Uh, yeah, so it, it's still the 912. Mm-hmm. I used to live in the San Francisco area then, and I bought it up at Novato. I think it was a grand total of $2,200 or something like that. <laughs> it had holes. It, you know, it had a, a little bit of rust. Know, rusty, yeah, a, bit, a little bit of rust, right, a patina um, kind of a thing. It wasn't in the color that I wanted. I always wanted a silver-red com- com- uh, combination. Mm, yeah. could never find one in the 912. Couldn't afford an early 911 then. Probably can't these days either. It was a good bones car. You know, it had rust, but it was kind of, you know, rust in kind of the normal places, but nothing where, you know, can't be fixed. Sure. So it was just going to take a little bit of effort. Great story. You know, the, the person who I bought it from, you know, he lived like a hermit. He grew up in Switzerland. His whole life revolved around cars. He helped people find cars for their, you know, high dollar collections. In this little shed where he had the 912, he had, you know, a going, you know, frame, you know, uh, you know, broken down to its frame, right, that he was in the middle of restoring. He had this, you know, other old French car that I can't, can't remember what it was he was working on. He had a, uh, et cetera. Wow. You know, and he had a great driver going, you know, that looked in terrible shape, but it was mechanically just perfect. <laughs> and um, when we went to go you know, exchange a dollar, I was like, look, uh, I'm going to throw one last condition on you, right? You got to take me for a ride. Um, <laughs> and, you, uh, you know, yeah, he took me for a ride, and he kind of like you know let me ride it back, and that was a, that was great. And uh, you know that car has just always been interesting for me. I had to you know tear it all down, kind of a thing. My daughter was super young at the time. I remember at that little shed that we had in our house, I used to push it out to kind of work on it in the sun, right, and then kind of push it back in, roll it back in. And uh, one day she was kind of watching me, you know, do my stuff 
and she was kind of helping out here and there. And then I was pushing it in, and it's, it's always a little bit harder to get it back into the garage. And uh, I think she was like four at the time or something. <laughs> and I was like, hey, Anna, do you want to help me push it back in? And she kind of just crossed her arms and said, no, no, Dad, it's okay, I'll just watch. I'll just <laughs> like, watch, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was hilarious, right? I still have a picture from that moment. And that car is just, you know, it's the most irrational car for me to keep because from a value standpoint, but it's just like all my cars, right? I have some emotional bond to it. So, yeah. so earlier this year, I mean, it was a car where I wouldn't drive it for six or nine months and I'd get back in it and I'd fall in love with it again. And so um, earlier this year, I decided, okay, now I'm going to restore it again. So I'm doing a re-restoration because <laughs> right? first cool. time around I had to, you know, rub nickels together to kind of make it happen yeah. and pinch and steel and things like that. But now it's sort of like I can do it properly. The right way. Um, so, yeah. So hopefully it'll be ready for the fall. Very cool. I love that story. You know, many great cars have to be re-restored. The winning car at Pebble Beach last summer was a result of a re-restoration. That beautiful 375 mm Ferrari was yeah. uh, on the lawn 15 years prior. And then it was re-restored because it had been driven a lot. And some of the things they found out were not quite right. And uh, so I think you're on to a great second ride with your 912. That's great. Yeah. And my restorations aren't always correct. I personalize the cars a little bit to, to how I like them. Uh-huh. Now, you talk about cars, then let's talk a little bit about seller's remorse. Is there a vehicle that you've let go that you really wish you could have back in the garage? Never. No. I can't sell cars. Well, good for you. I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I have remorse about some cars I didn't buy. Well, uh, we all have those, but let me ask you the <laughs> next question here. Is there a vehicle that you purchased that you went, oh my gosh, what was I thinking shortly thereafter? Yeah, yeah. I bought uh, a 67 Fastback Mustang. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where it was kind of a resto mod car. I just always liked the fastback shape, and it was the color of the car that I liked the most. It was kind of it was a periwinkle blue, but um, but with, with a little bit more silver fleck in it, mm-hmm. and um, has these Porsche silver stripes on it. It was just kind of had the right stance, but I just knew going into it that it's like there's going to be issues with this car, even though you know it it had been in some magazines and stuff like that. But I could just tell it'd been prettied up for magazines. Yeah. I've had that car for quite a while, and literally not until the beginning of this year has that car turned into something that I actually enjoy driving every time I take it out now. <laughs> there it, you was, go. it was like one of the most painful things every every other time I would take it yeah. out. Yeah, oh, there's always hope then. That's the key there. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? So the, maybe this is a kind of nice intersection between cars and art and things like that. So uh, Le Mans is coming up in a couple of weeks. And uh, this is the 40th anniversary of the first time BMW brought out an art car. Mm. And the first car was was the Alexander uh, Calder car. Mm. And so I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. And, you know, you'd always kind of read about them and and things like that. But, again, they're always kind of glossed over. Sort of like they're always kind of shown together. You know, I'd see how my kids would kind of look at them and kind of gloss over them really fast and things like that. And I was like, you know, people aren't taking time to kind of appreciate them. So... I started a little project where I said, well, let me just kind of play with the colors. I'll leave the kind of lines the way they are because, you know, I mean, how he laid out colors on that car. How do you improve on Calder? (laughs) You can't, right? I mean, we have a bunch of his art and it's just, you know, you can't. And how he kind of just redefined a car into this piece of art. That was just fantastic. So I said, oh, okay, well, the furthest I'll go is I'll just play with the colors. And how does that kind of change the mood of the car? And how does that strengthen the design and stuff like that? It's really interesting, right? And I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. Um, So then I said, okay, well, uh, let me take it further. I'll just kind of do a series of prints, right? 
for people who really appreciate the car, but there's ways of kind of looking at the design. And, and the point was the same design in a series of colors to kind of emphasize the design. Right. right. I don't know if that kind of makes sense, but it's sort yeah. of like, you know, when people see a kind of that, that sequence of, of designs or palettes together, the common is the design. Sure. And then maybe that'll get them to focus a little bit more on the design and wonder, you know, why did he use that, those kind of shapes, right? And, and who was this person, right? <laughs> and then they kind of look at his other art and things like that. I mean, he was just so influential. So that's kind of been interesting, occupying some of my time lately. Again, all the stuff I do, I do it for myself, and then I do it for people who kind of appreciate it, mm-hmm. you know. And whatever attention they get, they get. If people love them, that's great. If people gloss over them, that's okay, too. Yeah. That's well, there's a great tool that you have on your website where you can go in and change the colors, actually, of, of the overhead print of one of these things, which is really fun to play with. I think that's really brilliant. Yeah. And a lot of people have been playing with it, and then some people have been you know, emailing a copy of it to themselves. Mm-hmm. And when they email it to themselves, I see a copy of it as well, right? So it's been kind of interesting around the house uh, the last few days because we're kind of seeing what others you know, are doing yeah what others are doing right yeah. and what the others are calling them right it's kind of it's kind of fun oh yeah so that's cool right it just again gets people involved with it yeah i love it now here's a very introspective question for you if you were a car tj what kind of car would you be and why i would have to be you know it's it's a Porsche 911 and why is that right? versatile purpose built consistent mm-hmm. not about following trends it's about performance functionality rather yeah. than you know and substance right not about flash yeah that would have to be the best answer for <laughs> very me. cool i love it yeah so up next is the last lap but before we put the pedal to the metal let's say a thank you to our cars yeah sponsor no more worries about a dead battery i've got the noco genius boost jump starter this compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium ion technology that'll start a dead battery in your car boat truck or rv it packs a whopping 12 volt 400 amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge plus it has built-in spark proof technology and a reverse polarity protection to safely jump start your vehicle every time includes a built-in ultra bright dual led flashlight and it easily recharges with USB outlets so you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool. It's safe and easy to use. Quality, design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Okay, TJ, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Let's do it. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Uh, Momentum. Momentum. Yeah, how to use it. Ah, I love it. Yes, very good. <laughs> you drive you drive a nine twelve around at Sears Point. You know you know what momentum is. You learn about momentum. <laughs> I raced a Lotus eighteen, and I raced with a bunch of Formula Ford guys who were all faster, bigger cars, better brakes. And so, yes, you definitely learn about momentum when you do that. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? My daily list. Your daily list. Yeah. So uh, I take a piece of paper. I turn it sideways. And I do a to-do list, and it's sectioned off into everything from professional things to personal things to, you know, honey to-do things, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's my habit. Great advice. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners that you've really enjoyed? Yeah. You know, all my resources tend to be around the cars I have. So I like to kind of get to know other owners. Mm-hmm. So Renlist, 
the early 9-11 S registry, Ferrari chat, the Alpha board, the 9-12 registry, all of them are things I visit many times a day. Would you share a book with our listeners that you think they would really enjoy reading? For an automotive book, you know, there's a story about uh, the Le Mans 55 series and the crash. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knows about the crash, but the book does a fantastic story of explaining the build-up to it. And it gets a little bit into the characters and what was what was happening, the pressure that they were under, you know, which driver, who's going to get the ride, all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of brings a story to an event that everybody's heard of that I just haven't seen kind of written that way for those types of events. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to all these great resources at carsyacom slash TJ Graywall. And TJ's last name is spelled G-R-E-W-A-L. All right, TJ, we're up to the checkered flag. This last question can be a bit of a doozy for a car guy like you that, that has a lot of cars in his stable. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about what that car is and what it costs because today I'll buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one vehicle be? And why? Yeah, that answer changes every day. But yeah. <laughs> um, so this morning, that answer is uh, 250 uh, GT short wheelbase. Uh, you know, I've had many guests that have listed that car as a favorite. What are the reasons you love that car so much? You know, the design of it is just so interesting, right? It's got the strong shoulders in the back, so you kind of get that impression of it's muscular and things like that. And mm-hmm. then it's got that leaning nose up, up in the front. Yeah kind of gives you that impression of speed. Kind of, they really transforms from something super simple in the front to big and heavy at the back. Yeah. Uh, does it really elegantly. The stance is just uh, amazing. And then, you know, the sound, right? Just, <laughs> that V12. I mean, you hear one of those things roar by and it's just, yeah. You know, it's one of those moments. It's one of my favorites as well. I've had the distinct pleasure of driving one and uh, I can tell you it's everything you'd ever want it to be and more. It's just a wonderful vehicle and as i said many guests here on cars you have selected that car so i've had to buy a couple of those over the last year absolutely well just make mine in yellow oh yeah okay fly yellow (laughs) i'll do that for you yeah it would look great in that in fact i think there was a car just sold this past weekend at the uh via de este concor a fly yellow oh it didn't sell oh no it hit a high bid of nine million euro and and did not ah you were watching that too so yeah of course (laughs) well i'm sorry i was bidding for you in that nine million that's as far as i could go this weekend i apologize but i'll call i'll call them up and bump that up a little bit see if we can't put that car in your garage (laughs) i think so tj you've taken me on a great ride today and i've really enjoyed talking with you and i want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with our listeners could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that 250 swb oh just make sure it's full and just go (laughs) make sure it's full and go i love it drive your vehicles i think i like that even better what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about what you're doing these days Best is a website or on Instagram, so teej.com, so T-E-E-J.com is the website. And on Instagram, I'm photos by teej. There you go. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything that Teej has shared with us today at carsyad.com. Just put TJ into the search bar. His show notes page will pop up and visit his website. I think you'll love the artwork, the photography he's doing. It's absolutely fantastic. Thank you, TJ, for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Great. Thanks very much, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! 
Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!